0: Hi, this is Dr. Karen Horton from Johns Hopkins. Today I'll be discussing virtual colonoscopy, and in this lecture we'll be focusing on study interpretation. So specifically, I'm going to talk about how we read these studies at Hopkins. Now, if you look at the literature, there are different strategies for interpreting virtual colonoscopy. Some people prefer a primary 2D read, so that means they spend most of their time looking at the axial images or multiplanar reconstructions, and they use the 3D fly-through views for problem solving. That's probably the most common method used today. But there are people who argue that the primary 3D read may be better. And so a primary 3D read would be most of the time they spend on the endoluminal fly-through views and they use the 2D images for problem solving. You could be very comprehensive and do a complete 2D and 3D review. That would be very time consuming, but would be very comprehensive and a good review. And then also we'll discuss a little bit about computer aided diagnosis and where that fits into our interpretation methods. So the primary 2D review, typically people will look at the axial images. And when I do a 2D review, I also include my MPRs under the 2D review. So most of the time you have a a setting similar to lung windows, there isn't quite a lung window setting. So we would use something like 1600 over negative 400, and that's best to look for these soft tissue polyps. Sometimes it's good to review the data under soft tissue windows, especially if it's an area of thickening, it may be helpful for flat lesions. If you think it may be a lipoma, then definitely the soft tissue windows are helpful to confirm that there's fat there. Also, when you're trying to determine is it stool or is it fat, it may be helpful to look under the soft tissue windows to see if there's any air or fat in the lesion, then you know it can't be a polyp, it has to be stool. So the primary 2D review, the reason why people like it is it's a time efficient survey and also people are very comfortable with this method because as radiologists, we're well trained in looking at CT scans in the axial images and using multiplanar reconstructions, which are widely available. So I think when people are first training, they gravitate towards the primary 2D review because it's just easier than the 3D review to learn. Also, it increases reader confidence when an abnormality is seen in more than one plane. So if you see it in the axial images, it's nice to be able to go and say, okay, that's what it looks like in the coronal or even the sagittal images. And then, of course, you can link images at the same level or link data sets if you want to do it that way. So all in all, when you're first starting, I think most people prefer the primary 2D review because they're very comfortable with that. And how you look at the data really varies on the manufacturer and the software that you have. Uh, Typically, people would have the axial images and the multiplanar reconstructions kind of on this four-to-one view and the endoluminal views um, on one of those images. However, when you're reviewing the axial images or the coronal images, for example, you really want to have a one-on-one view. And that's a better way because, remember, you're looking for small polyps. If you find a lesion, then you can correlate it very quickly with the other planes and also with the endoluminal view. So here's an example of a patient with a polyp in the right colon. You can see on the axial image, you have this lobular polyp on the fold. You confirm it on the coronal image and you can see it here. And again, you can see it's a lung like window. It isn't quite exactly a lung window. So it's like 1600 over negative 400. Here's another patient. This one's a little tricky on the coronal and the axial because you see a fold and then you see a little polyp next to the fold. And in this case, you would definitely want to correlate it with the 3D image to see if it was real. And here you can see the 3D actually shows it a little bit better that it's a polyp stuck to the fold. Now, if you're going to do a primary 3D review, so that's the endoluminal fly through views and you spend most of your time looking at that. And then of course you would correlate that with the 2D images of the multiplanar reconstructions. If you find an abnormality at this point, if you are flying through the colon on a fly through view, you're going to need to fly forward and backward. Remember if there's something hidden behind a fold, then you'll miss it if you're only going in one direction. So this is why it could be time consuming. It's a little difficult for people to learn in the beginning because they have to learn the software and the buttons to push and you know, as training as a radiology resident, you're not trained in this. So it's just a different modality. You're not used to looking at the inside of the colon, but once you get good at it and learn your software, it can be time efficient. Also there are new software developments that we'll talk about later, which can open up the edges of the colon and open up the haustral folds. And in the future, I think it may be possible to fly through once without having to turn around. So if you fly through forward and they stretch out the corners and you can see a little bit behind, you may avoid this forward and backward. In this video, you can see that this is flying through the colon. Now, that's faster than you do in real life, but that's basically the principle. You fly through the colon, and then um, when you see an abnormality, you can stop. And then when you see it, you mark it, and then you see what it is. So here we go again. There's the polyp. You turn around, and you say, okay, there's something there. So when you see the lesion, then you want to say, when you're looking at the fly-through view, you can't always tell, is this polyp or this could could be stool, right? Because this is a surface rendering. So you definitely need to correlate with the other views. And here's the axial image. You can see the lesion here. And there's the coronal image. You can see the lesion there. And then you may want to mark where the lesion is. So whoever's taking care of the patient knows exactly where it is. So you're in the transverse colon. And this is the global view. It looks like a barium enema. And there's the camera. And you can mark exactly where the lesion is. But until they modify the software a little bit, when you're flying through, you have to be careful because just as the colonoscopist goes in one direction, they're a blind spot. So you have to turn the camera around and fly backwards. So in this example, if you're going forward, you wouldn't see the polyp. If you turn around coming backward, you'd be able to see that polyp, which is hidden behind a fold. On the fly-through views, polyps look is just how you would expect. They're little polypoid lesions. The colon is actually pretty smooth. The only thing you're dealing with are the haustral folds, but sometimes they can be complex, so it takes a little bit of experience to recognize normal haustral folds. The more distended the colon is, the easier that is. If the colon's not well distended, then the haustral folds can be bunched up together, and then it can be a little bit difficult to find a polyp on a fold. So here's another example of what a polyp looks like. Sometimes it's just more obvious in one view versus the other. Here's the endoluminal view that shows a small polyp here. It's pretty obvious. I would say it's probably maybe 6 or 7 millimeters. And on the axial image, you can see it's a little bit more subtle. There's just a small lesion there along the left wall of the rectum. Sometimes if lesions are big, it may be difficult on the colonoscopy. Uh, the virtual colonoscopy portion. So you can see in this example, there's a huge lesion there. So it can be difficult when you're flying through to tell whether that's a polyp or whether that's stool. If you correlate with the other images, it becomes obvious that this is an apple core lesion on the coronal image here, a large apple core lesion in the transverse colon. And here's the kind of barium enema view or the translucent view, and you can see a nice apple core lesion. Don't forget about the ileocecal valve when you're flying through in the beginning. Sometimes people keep marking that as a polyp. Remember, everybody has an ileocecal valve unless it's been resected. And the appearance is similar from patient to patient, but it does vary. So most of the time, you'll see a little polypoid lesion there with a little dimple in the center because that's where the valve opens. Sometimes it will be open, and some people you'll just catch it open. But in some people, they can get lipomatous hypertrophy. And so in that case, the valve can look very lobular. So you want to be careful And you want to look and look on soft tissue windows on the axial and multiplanar reconstructions. If you think there's a polyp there, you want to look very carefully. It may just be a lipomatous valve. Also, you don't want to just assume anything near the valve is part of the valve. So if the valve looks lobular to you, you want to confirm that there is fat density in there. If there's a soft tissue component to that lobular valve, it may be a polyp on the valve. When you're doing the fly-through view, and even when you're doing the axial images for a 2D review, basically your job is to distinguish stool from polyp. So one of the things you can use is stool would move from prone to supine sometimes. So if it really changes position, then you can be confident that it's stool, because a polyp is sessile in most cases. If the polyp is on a stalk, then it can move a little bit, so you want to be very careful when something moves, you need to look whether or not it has a stalk. Also, stool demonstrates heterogeneous attenuation. So inside a lesion, if you see air, fat, or high density, then you know it has to be stool, because polyps are homogeneous soft tissue density. Stool tends to be more irregular, especially on the fly-through views. Polyps tend to be smooth or lobular. They don't have angles to them. Also, now we use fecal tagging. And so when we the patient does their prep, they take extra tagging agents, usually barium and iodinated liquids, to help mix with the stool and the fluid. And that makes identification of stool versus polyp easier. And then also you can use computer aided diagnosis and that can help you distinguish the two sometimes. So here's an example of a fly-through view, and you can see this lesion just on the fly-through view. Although technically you don't know whether it's stool or a polyp, you can see these little angulations and lumps, and that would really favor stool. Of course, you correlate with the 2D view, and here on the axial image, you can see that there's a little dot of air inside this lesion, so you know that this is actually residual stool and not a polyp. Also, when you flip patients, here you can see a lesion. This patient's prone here and supine here. You can see. On this view, the little lesion is dependent, and anterior, on this view, it's dependent and posterior. So it flipped from anterior to posterior. So, unless there's a stalk, so you could look around for that, you know that has to be stool. But the easiest way is if you have good stool tagging, it becomes easy. So these small little white dots in the colon now are easily identified as adherent stool or at least adherent tagging agent rather than polyps. The stool tagging can be a problem on the fly-through view if it coats the right colon. So you can see in the right colon here, it's coated. So if you are flying through, you're only going to be seeing this coating of the tagging agent. You won't actually be seeing the mucosa. So you have to be a little bit careful with that. Some of the difficulties, both on the 2D and 3D review, are the flat lesions. And if you look at Perry Pickert's study, specifically at those polyps that were flat lesions, and by flat lesions, I mean they're not very elevated, only a couple millimeters. So he had 344 polyps that were over 6 millimeters, only 59 of those were flat lesions. And you can see 17% were seen at conventional colonoscopy only, so you couldn't find them on the virtual colonoscopy. But 25 were seen only at the virtual colonoscopy, and it was difficult or impossible for them to see them on the regular colonoscopy, and 17 were seen at both, virtual colonoscopy and conventional colonoscopy. Now, if you look at those flat lesions, only half of them were adenomatous. And if you did the math, you could see that the virtual colonoscopy prospectively detected 82% of those and 80% of all flat lesions greater than six millimeters. So that's pretty good. It's not great, but even conventional colonoscopy has difficulty seeing the flat lesions because sometimes if they're not elevated, the colonoscopist has difficulty seeing them unless there's a change in the color of the mucosa. Flat lesions are challenging, but if you look at several cases and you get um, kind of, you can avoid that pitfall by knowing what to look at. In this case, you have this lobularity on the lateral portion of the cecum, and here's what it looks like on the axial image. It's fairly subtle, but sometimes even on the fly through view, here's the fly through view, you can see it's just a ridge. So those flat lesions are definitely a challenge. Diverticular disease is also a challenge. Patients with severe diverticular disease, especially if there's circular muscle hypertrophy, when that occurs, you get that sawtooth appearance and the sigmoid colon is very, very limited in your ability to distend it, even with the best techniques. It's the same problem at colonoscopy, same problem at barium enema. So you're definitely going to be limited in these cases. You want to get as good distention as possible, and you want to take your time going through there. The fly-through may be very difficult through those areas, and sometimes you may be flying into the diverticula, so that can be difficult, but it's just going to take you more time, but you can still do a good job uh, at what you have, knowing the limitations. So here's a patient. This is only moderately limited, I would say. It's a pretty good distension considering the degree of diverticular disease. And here's an example of the fly-through. Now, with diverticular disease, again, you have to be a little bit careful because sometimes stool gets trapped in the diverticula, and sometimes it can pooch into the lumen and look like a polyp. So there are some tricks. But definitely the most important thing is to take your time during uh, when you're looking at those segments. So what do we do here at Hopkins? Well... My advice is when you're first learning, you probably want to do a complete 2D and 3D review. You really want to be very comprehensive. You want to look at the data set multiple times. You want to take your time and plus you want to see what kind of strategy works best for you. Then over time, you can get your own strategy. You may decide to be a 2D reader or a 3D reader. And a lot of that has to do with your personality, just how you like to approach things and also the type of software you're using. In the beginning, when you're first looking at your training cases, you should be spending at least 30 to 45 minutes on a case doing a complete review over time. You'll get much quicker. And when we train the fellows at Hopkins, by the end of their rotation, they've looked at 50 or 75 cases, they're doing a case in 15 or 20 minutes, which is fine. If you look at the experts, there's some controversy whether there should be 2D or 3D interpretation. This was from 2005, where they looked at patients, um, sorry, they looked at doctors who do a lot of virtual colonoscopy, and they said, what's the best way? 20 out of 25 believe that the best method was 2D interpretation with 3D problem solving. But I think that's, again, because of our biases being radiologists, we're just more comfortable with the 2D technique. This was a recent article by Perry Pickard, 2007. You can see they... 10 radiologists retrospectively interpreted 730 consecutive colonoscopy-proven CTC cases. So basically, they went back using a primary 2D evaluation with 3D problem solving, and they compared their results with the original results, which were read with a primary 3D review. So basically, they took the cases where they initially read primarily with 3D review, and they had people go back and read them with a 2D review. And all the 2D reviewers were experienced colonoscopy readers, and the results they got, you know, they did pretty good with the 2D review, but basically they did better with the 3D review. The, pa- the people who had initially read them using a primary 3D review had better results. So their summary was that the primary 2D review is less sensitive than the 3D review for low prevalence screening cohorts. And uh, in a way, I agree with them, but I think that their study was a little biased. By the fact that the patient, the people who were reading the 2D were actually more comfortable reading the 3D because they were usually primary 3D reviewers. So, in my experience, I think that you can be good at either way. You just have to have a lot of experience, and I think you could be excellent either way. This was an article by Kim where they compared conventional 2D colon polyp detection method with primary 3D interpretation using virtual dissection software. And they had comparable per polyp and per patient sensitivity using those two methods. So I think you're going to see a lot more in the literature, but you have to be careful when you read them. So for instance, I basically am a primary 2D reviewer. So of course, I'm going to do better in a study where I have to read primary 2D than 3D. So, um, I think you could be excellent either way. I just think it's a matter of experience and looking at a lot of cases and over time, the software may change and it may be much easier and time efficient to do the primary 3d. So things may change over time, regardless of the type of interpretation method you utilize, you must review the extra colonic structures. And I'm not going to go through all the data, but basically if you look at it in 10 to 15% of cases, you're going to see something important outside the colon that you need to report. So you certainly can't ignore that. You want to take your time, but you don't want to overread read that anatomy. Because remember, these are low dose scans, 50 MAS or even lower in some cases, so things are going to be grainy. So you don't want to overread every time you see a dot in the liver or the kidney and assume that it's a mass. You have to go with statistics, and those little tiny things are usually benign. But you certainly need to look. Things like aneurysms, masses outside the colon, not- nodules in the lung bases definitely occur, especially in this patient population, which are in their 50, 60, 70, 80. So you definitely want to look there. Okay, we're going to stop there for now, and I'll have a second talk coming where I specifically talk how we report these cases, how we make our reports.